0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com I can't believe you came back to hear more speeches. Okay. So, we are approaching Shabbos Nachamu. Beside Shabbos Nachamu, there's a very famous day Bezrat Hashem on Monday, which is called Tuba Av, the 15th day of Av. And it's brought down that the greatest day, the greatest of the whole year, is Tuba Av. Is the 15th day of Av. Greater than Pesach, greater than Rosh Hashanah, greater than all these holidays, is Tuba av. What happened on Tuba av? On Tuba av, on the 15th day of Av, all the girls in clients would go out and they would borrow dresses from each other, They would, each one would give each other the dresses, and no the boys couldn't tell who was rich who wasn't rich because no one because they knew that it wasn't at that time how you got dressed was your status. And it was Mamash and Day, there was no kinna, there was no jealousy between the, the Jewish women, everybody was equal. And that is the greatest yatrif, the, the greatest holiday for God that exists in the world. When he sees his daughters are all getting along and nobody is nobody's jealous of each other, and that's that's Monday. That's Tubov. There's a lot of weddings on Tu Tubov is also it's brought down that it's brought down that Chasidim hold this, and I don't know if it's but that the mazal of the month from the first day to the 15th grows. When the moon grows, it's good mazal. When the moon gets smaller, it's not such good mazal. So the Chasidim don't get married the last day, the last week of the month. They don't, they don't make weddings the last week of the month. They try to make, people try to make weddings in the first half of the month, but the last two, three days of the month, Pretty much the wedding halls don't book because those are like when the moon is almost gone and that's din and whatever. On the month of of it's the opposite way around. The opposite way around. You start getting married, I mean, now, we, even tonight there are weddings, right? You're lot to get married tonight. But many people start on the 15th. Why? So it's brought down in Kabbalah that in of it's flipped around the opposite way. That the 1st to the 15th is din, is not such a good mazel. And the 15th to the 30th is good mazel. Of course, Tisha B'Av, in the 10th day of Av, the the Samish the, the was burning. But from the 15th, when Klai Yisrael, when all the girls lent their clothing one to the other, and their jewelry, and, and it was everybody was equal, that begins to turn the whole month around. And therefore, from the 15th of Av to the 30th of Av, normally when the moon is getting smaller, it's not a good time. And that in the month of Av, it is a good time, all because of Tuva Av. So Tuva Av is a very big time. And tonight, we're going to spend some time talking about Tuba of, and jealousy. But besides that, I want to start off with this week's Pasha. I haven't spoken about the Pasha in a very, very long time. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Veskhanan, and I would like to read you a medrish on Pasha's Veskhanan, a very interesting medrish about Moshe Rabbeinu. So, the, 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 it says about Haskhanan that, that uh, El Hashem, that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to Hashem. What was he praying for? He was praying to go to Eretz Israel. He was praying to get into Eretz Israel. They didn't have birthright in those days. So he couldn't get, just get, simply get into it. So certainly, that if you do the Gematra, uh, it's 400, 400, 500, um, 500, 9, I think it's 515, maybe I'm not counting it right. But that was as many trillists that he Daven in many different directions. I'm not going to go into the Medrash. If anyone has a mom you should look it up. <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem said, you're being punished. I said, you because you hit the rock, and you didn't speak to the rock, and you're not going into Eretz Israel. Or Hashem came back to Hashem with all kinds of different things. It's a very interesting Medrash. He said, you said I wouldn't walk in to let them carry me in. He said, as a human being, you wouldn't take me in. Let me be a bird and fly in. He wanted very, very much. <speaking in> Rosh <Hebrew> wanted very, very much to be in Eretz Yisroh. Now, the word that kind of prayer, right? Chanan. Is a, is, is, is a prayer that you're asking for something for free. It's a favor. That's Hanan. Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem, do me a favor. Please do me a favor and let me go into Eretz throne. So the question is, Moshe Rabbeinu, who did everything, why to not now cash in his credits? Why did not you say to Hashem, listen, I was in the Midmar, I really wanted to be left alone. You showed up and told me to go take Klai's for a lot. I took Klai's for a lot out of, out, of, out of Mitzrayim, until I got them out of Mitzrayim. It was impossible. Then I finally got them out of Mitzrayim. They complained they didn't have no water. Then they complained they had no food. Then they went, I, I brought them to the, to the Harsinai. I, I got them the Torah. Then they did the ego. Right? Then, then we finally wanted to go to Echisroel. Then they sent, they sent Maravim. Then Karach came along. <laughs> Koshbarch, you owe me. You owe me. Right? I'm the leader of Klai Yisrael. You owe me to let me go into Echisroel. I mean, the basis of Moshe Rabbeinu's whole thing was to go to Eretz Yisrael, not to go in the Midbo for 40 years. He wasn't one of the meraglim, So he should have said to Hashem, you know, you owe me one. You know, many times we pray, we say, listen, you know, I did this for this woman, I did this for this person, and I did this for this one. Now, Kishbuchu, you owe me one. So, Moshua Beinu, if anybody could say to Hashem, you owe me one, it should have been him. And he said, I want a freebie. I want a favor. So when I first learned this, I thought, sure, he's very smart if he gets it for free, then it doesn't use up any of his chusun. Right? That's what I thought. I thought, sure, he's very smart. He's going to ask Hashem, let me in for free. Otherwise, oh, you want me to let you in because he did this, he did this, he did this. Okay, so you're using it up. You cashed it in. You're not going to get it in the next world. No. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. So the medri says the following. Rabbi Yechenon says, Mikan from here out to made you learn. she ain't libriya klom There's no creation that has any right to ask for credit, for anything from the Creator. In other words, Hashem owes us nothing. Rabin Rabban Sholkanavim mm-hmm. Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the head of the greatest of all the If Moshe Rabbeinu only came and he asked Hashem for a freebie, then who are, who are we? We don't come close to him to ask for anything. I heard a beautiful shot where Pinkus said on this, very very fascinating, and he said that Yaakov Avinu did the same thing. When Yaakov Avinu asked Hashem for help, he said, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. I'm the smallest guy. Do me a favor and help me. The same thing as Moshe Rabbeinu. So Shem Shem said something very that scared me very much when I heard it. Anyone who does something good, right, I'm not talking about myself, anyone who does anything good, so you, you feel I did something good, and deep in your heart, you feel like, you know, Hashem's going to pay me back. You know, I did chesed, I helped somebody, I'm doing kivet of the aim, I'm in a position to help people. So you, you very much feel that Hashem owes you something. Hashem Shepinke said just the opposite. Just the opposite. Why? Let's take a girl that does chesed. She is in a position, right, to help kids that are off the derech. She's very smart and she's, she's, she's worldly and kids like her and she's in a position to help someone she owes Hashem much more than the girl who's not in that position why? what's going to happen now? she's going to help this kid and because of her this kid's going to become religious and their children are going to become sadikim and right? all these credits she's going to get in Shemayim who gave her the ability to get all these credits? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, she owes God more than the girl who didn't do the, who didn't have the chance to do the chesed. So Moshe Rabbeinu had nothing to ask Hashem for. Just the opposite. Moshe Rabbeinu, I made you leader. You got all these mitzvahs. You became Moshe Rabbeinu. All these chus in the next world. You're the leader of Christ. I could have picked anyone. I could have picked anyone to be the leader. I picked you. So who owes who? Who owes who? I owe you or Moshe owes me? Hoshe owes Hashem. Yaakov Avinu Hashem said, I make you the father of the 12 Shvatim. Who owes who? Yeah. You're doing me a favor. I did you the favor. Sort of an investment. Let's say, I would go over to one of the girls and I'd say, listen, here's $1,000. Invested in this stock. Right? So she takes $1,000 and she invests in the stock and she becomes a billionaire. So she owes me Right, I gave her the stock. I gave her the money. I gave her the ability to make this money. Right, so I definitely don't owe her. And even if she came back to me and said, "Ray well, am you know, I'm going to buy you a car because you gave me this information," right? I mean, I want to trade on information, so it wasn't really information. But whatever. But thank you very much. And here's a present. Right, I don't owe you something because you gave me a present for this. I made you a billionaire. So when God gives a, a person a chance with his eyes and his ears and his brain. And he has money to give for tzedakah or whatever it is. So he gave you, right, an, uh, an investment, a present, an investment. And he's telling you, go do good. Now in Shemayim you're doing good and they, they just, the, the, the cash register just keeps going all day long. You keep doing mitzvahs and they're putting more and then more and more and more and more. who owes who? Hashem owes you? No, you owe him. He gave you a chance. So Shemesh Shapikas, who was a speaker who spoke all over the world and made hundreds and thousands of chubas, he got up and he said, Oi, oy, 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 I owe Hashem much more than anyone else. Here he was doing the biggest chesed changing the whole world and he's walking around saying, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble because I owe Hashem. What am I going to answer him that he gave me such a great chance? Oh, do I have to be perfect? Oh, do I have to work on myself? Oh, I'm never good enough because he gave me a chance to, 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 to have the cash register making all this money. The opposite mentality that we all have when we do good is the absolute opposite. Just down. Hashem gave me the ability. Oh, you say I, I, I have to thank him. I have to have a curse. I typed him. Not he owes you. You gotta, you, you help another girl. You gotta jump up and down and say, Hashem, thank you for giving me the chance. Not you owe me because I helped one of your children. Very different mentality. We all walk around like, hey, I helped one of your children. Look, I, I gave the dollar to this poor lady sitting out there. Look what I did. God, you owe me. It's just the opposite. It's like that girl has to go home and say, God, I owe you so much. I, I, I'm sure I'm not living up. I, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna be better. Just the opposite. And Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the greatest, knew this. So he said, "Veschanan." He said, Hashem, you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. Could you give me freebie? Could you let me interrogate to stroll Yakov said, Katainti bikala chasadim. The absolute opposite mentality that we have. Okay. It's Shiv Shiv Pink, because he was a brilliant. Brilliant man. He said something scary. He said on. Um, he said on, on, on Tisha B'Av, so in, in Yemenyo, I don't know, Yemyah came to a whole pile of tillin. And and they were piled up. Jews were killed and there was a whole pile of tillin. So Yemiohu said to Hashem, he said, Look at Kojba, look at all this tillin and, and and there's no heads for the Tillin. Rabbi Pinkis died five years ago. He said this a few years before he died. This was like ten years ago, and he was on Tisha He was speaking, and he said, "Kriszbalko, I have a much bitter, much more bitter thing to say than Yemiyahu. He said, "Look how many, look, look at all these heads that have no Yemi Yirmiyahu said, "Look at all this tzelem that have no heads." And Rabbi Pinkis said, "Look at all the heads in Klal Yisrael that have no tzelem. It's much sadder." Anyway, he was. We, we want to get a little bit off the, the teshvot. Sorry about that. Okay. You cried enough, this teshvot. So, Meshach came... Listen to this. There's a medrash in Veschanan if you want to look it up. And he says the following. And Rabbi Levi asked a question. He says that Meshach came to Hashem and he said, Listen, you said that I can't go into Eretz Yisrael alive. Right? But don't I deserve to be buried in Eretz Yisrael? Don't I deserve to be buried in Eretz Yisrael? Yosef died in Mitzrayim. He was buried in Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov died in Mitzrayim. He was buried in Eretz Yisrael. I'm dying right here at the border. So why can't Klai Yisrael at least bury me in Eretz Yisrael? So they'll put my body in... You know, and we'll go visit Meshav Beno's kever. So there's Midrashim. Why? Because if Moshe was buried in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael wouldn't, Hashem wouldn't have been able to destroy the land and on Hamikdash and he would have to destroy Klai Yisrael there's many Midrashim but this is what he says here of amazing and he says the following Baruch Hu HaKadosh Baruch Hu said the following listen carefully girls Me, Shehoda Ba'artzai one who is who admits and is proud of his land Nigbar Ba'artzai gets buried in his land U Mi Eino Nigbar Ba'artzai and a person who does not admit what land he comes from, and he doesn't appreciate what land he, land he comes from, he does not get buried in his land. What's, what's, what's the Medrash saying here? And the Medrash says the following. Yosef HaTzadik, right? In Bereshia, they said, I believe Potiphar's wife said that. Look, they brought a, a Jewish man, right? He didn't, he could have said, I'm not Jewish, I'm from the land of Canaan. He could have denied it. He was sold as a slave. What did he answer? He said, He said, I was stolen from the land of the Jews. He didn't say the land of Canaan. It was called the land of Canaan in those days. He didn't say Eretz Canaan. He said, It's our land. I was stolen. He told the Mitzrayim. Yeah, I'm a Jew, and I was stolen from the land of the Jews. So, Keshavar said, Therefore Atmos Yaisav, therefore the bones of Yisav to Israel took out of Mitzrayim and they buried it in Shechem. He says, But you, my Shrabeinu, when you came and you drew the water for, for Yisrael's daughters, and they came back to their father, and you were with them, and they said, Ish Mitzri Hitzilan Yah. Yisrael said, What are you doing back here so fast? And the girls answered, The Ish that man, the Mitri, he saved us from the shepherds. Bahusha Meya and Bashrabenu heard that he was called an Ish Mitzri b'shasek. And he didn't deny it. He didn't say I'm an Ish Ivri. He didn't say I'm not an Ish Mitzri. said, <laughs> Therefore, I'm not going to let you be buried in your land if you're not an Ishivri. Then be buried in Ishmitri. Then you don't deserve to go into your land. So very, we could never say this without the Medrash. The Medrash says. So the Medris says, the you didn't say when they said Ishmitri, you should have said what Ishmitri? I'm an Ishivri. No, you didn't say that. Therefore, you can't be buried in that Yisrael. Well. So very interesting. I know this is going to cause a little. I never said this before, but. I'm sure whoever's going to hear this on the tape is going to be a little what? What are you talking about? I never heard this before. But uh, I like things that are a little out of the box. So I'm going to tell you. You, you think about Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't able to be buried in Eretz Yisroel, and there's a lot of people that uh, you know today get buried in Eretz Yisroel, and they're not exactly Mekayim all the mitzvahs, and they have this chutz to get buried in Eretz Yisroel. There are people not religious; they don't keep Shabbos, nothing. They put them on El Al, and they bury them in Eretz Yisroel from America, they take him into Eretz Yisrael. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, it's one thing, but, right? So, it's a little hard to understand, where Shabbeinu, who was, he was a Jew, and he just didn't fight the Ish Mitzvah, he couldn't go into Eretz Yisrael. And these people, half of them, don't even know they're Jewish, and they get buried in Eretz Yisrael. So, the Abbas Chaim says something scary and amazing. Listen carefully. So, first of all, he says, uh, we know that Eretz Yisrael, is a special, um, he says the following, interesting, he says um, that the uh, ear, the of course, machkim, and anyone who learned in Eretz Yisrael knows that. If you're learning in Eretz Yisrael, the ear itself makes you smart. That's why people in Eretz Yisrael, kids in Eretz Yisrael are very, very, very sharp. And Chiesa Mason, we know, will start in Eretz Yisrael by the Maros HaMach way before it comes to Chutzlora. it's years, I think, before it comes to Chutzlora. So it's, 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 if you're buried in Eretz Yisrael, you're going to come back before the people that are buried here. Also, Misha Meisvaret Israel, the person who dies in Eretz Israel, Nishmasla in this Merazah Idei Malachim Harachamim. The 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 person who dies in Israel, his neshama is taken by angels of pity. Like in Chutzlur, it's not like in Chutzlur, it's Idei Malachah. Sorry, that the neshama is taken by mean, um rash Malachim. But like the Tvi of Eretz Israel, closer to the Shavuah Shemayim. The Tvi of Eretz is closer to the Shavuah Shemayim. We know that, and of course, Domini by the Kaisel, where it is Shari Shemayim, is the closest place. And it says in the Gemara that the Kaisel is the place that the um, that the never left, so there's nothing closer than that. my it's not like when you pray in Chutzlora, it's refers that your prayers in not The the runs after it, Umak and he tries to hold it back from going up. Interesting. Voyi says, "A kavah buried in A person who is buried in Eretz Yisrael, it's like being buried under the mizbeach in the Beis Hamikdash." Voyi hador Eretz Yisrael, daimer kimish yeshloi kai. Every person that lives in Eretz Yisrael has a god. Okay, it's a little hard to understand what that means exactly. He says, "Milets, milets, toivets, believe there's, there's so many milets, so many gr- attributes. There's not even a number for them. And he says something very, very, very scary. And he says, "Gam that's on the good side, but on the bad side, a person who doesn't have vera in Eretz Yisrael, even a small his punishment in Eretz Yisrael is much greater than a chutzlaritz. Now listen, this is, this is the stuff that's, I'm going to get a lot of emails from this. And he says the following. Even if the person gets buried in Eretz Yisrael, but he did a lot of sins, that after they bury him, there are malachim that drag him underneath the ground to places in Chutz L'Aretz. So that he should suffer with Chibet HaKever, and that's the, the person deteriorating in the ground, which the person in Eretz Israel doesn't have Chibet HaKever. And he says, and I'll tell you the opposite. Ha-Tzadikim The tzaddikim that are buried outside of Israel, if they were Tzadikim, they're dragged under the ground into the Kvarim in Eretz Yisrael. So, that throws out a lot of thoughts about going to Europe, to all the Kvarim of the Chaim, and all these people. According to this, they're not even there. They're in Eretz Yisrael, because they were very big tzaddikim. And in fact, I thought about it, you know, what's the Chavaz Chaim doing out in Poland, or whatever he is? He's a lot bigger than a lot of people that are alone HaMenuchos and Har And according to this, Chavaz Chaim, um, and I've seen it in other places, according to this, yeah, you know we don't know Ruach, Nesham, whatever it is, but according to this, those bodies are already in their ancestral. So he brings a fascinating story. My so he brings a story of a compton godel, a very stingy, very, very stingy man, and he wouldn't get married, because he didn't want to share his money with any woman. So he, he got he was smart though. Uh, what's the guy gonna do? You know, he's not gonna do the dishes and he's not gonna cook. So he hired a maid. So well, don't have to give the credit card to my wife. I'll hire a maid, I'll pay her three, whatever it is, three hundred dollars a week, two hundred dollars a week, and finished, that's it. So he went ahead, he hired a maid, and she did his laundry, she baked, she cooked. Okay. The Chacham came to him and they said, There's a chiv of the Torah that every Jewish man has to marry a woman. And, and, and you have to take your money, don't be so stingy, and give it to doctor. But no matter how much they tried, he was a compton, he was stingy, and he wouldn't give any money out. Okay, when he became older, he decided he's moving to Eretz Yisrael. This is an interesting story, he goes to Eretz Yisrael. Why did he go to Eretz Yisrael? Because he wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. He was a Compton, but he wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. He understood that it's important. Okay, so, he brought all his property and all this. he brought all his money and everything, and his maid, and he came to Yerushalayim, the old city. He bought a dira, a small dira, in a place called Sanu Sanavoska. Sanavoska? I don't know, it's, it's in the, this is a while ago, let's say it was written. But he bought himself a house in, in Yerushalayim, a little one. Okay, he was right next to, he was right next to a graveyard. So he figured when he dies, he's going to get buried there. Okay, he gets very sick, and he's on his deathbed. He's on his deathbed, can you imagine, listen to this. Before he got, when he got sick originally, in the beginning, he took all his stuff, all his money, and he cashed everything in for a couple of huge diamonds, jewels. And he gets, he's in in his, his, his deathbed, and he calls over this lady, and he says to her, bring me a soup, cook me a soup. So she cooks him a soup, and he takes the diamonds, and he swallows them, because he figured he's not leaving any money for anyone else. He's taking his money to his grave. He made it. No one else is getting it. Never, you know, you're laughing, but there's, there's never sick people. We once talked about the kavayasha, that a person can lose his keys. And when they take away your keys, there are people that have, you know, they can't give. They, they have money, but they can't, they can't give it. Rid- so he came up with a fantastic idea. He's taking it to the next world. So he swallowed all the diamonds with the soup and then he died. Okay? That was an interesting soup. So, they were matzo balls, that's for sure. So, he dies. Meanwhile, who served him the soup? The maid. So she knew that the body had all the diamonds in it. Okay. So, they have a leviah, and they bury him. On the second night after he died, she's not stupid, the maid went ahead, and she took a magrafer, a, a shovel. I don't know. And she went to dig up, the grave of her master, right? And she's going to cut open his stomach and she's going to take the diamonds. Money money. Bupito, she opens up the grave. Kol a voice comes out of the But says, well, What are you doing here? That must have surprised her. On a low, I know everyone's going out tonight, they can say, Rabbi, I want to buy that safer. Okay. On a low, so she answered, yeah, she's talking to a dead person. On I need I'm looking for my master, this guy. <laughs> so the maid said back, Hameis <laughs> the guy that was buried here two nights ago, he's not here. <laughs> On oh, she said to him, Adoni, my master. No, she says, Adoni, She'll show him, I buried him here. I was here when they buried him yesterday the body there said it's true. also the Malachim took him to outside of Eretz into this and this place. So she asked him, "So who are you?" I'm a I am a I'm a rabbi from a from a city outside of Eretz Yisrael. and I was very busy with the public There's and I was like, After I died, we covered Khan. And this, this person who was in the cavern told her exactly where, I don't know why he did this, but he told her exactly where the master was buried. She went, she dug it up, his stomach had already split open, and she found the stones. Take a book of a it's called Aisha. Listen to this. So the maid went and took all this money. And she came back to the Israel. So she went and she told the Yushalayim that this story happened. And, I, and it's something that's told. It's a story that's told. So it doesn't mean you have to go bury and, and dig up people that we don't know exactly what you know. But this is the story that's told in the old city of Yerushalayim that this happened, that this woman went, opened up the grave, and he wasn't there anymore. So the bottom line is that you don't beat God. That's what I learned from the story. You think you're going to go to Israel, they're going to bury you. Eh, eh, eh. You know, in the end, Hashem is, you know, makes everything fair. So, so according to this, there are people that are buried out here that are there. People that are buried there that are here. Doesn't matter to us really. We have to go where the Kever is, and there's a certain kedusha there anyway for sure, in we world that's a digger buried. But it's Mashu from here that they're already that they're already in Eretz Israel So Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't able to get this. Why? Because he didn't defend that he was a Jew, so usually when I speak about this, I tell this um, this story that I heard it's a, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. So um, travel agents, right? I don't know if anyone here works at travel agencies, but you know, when it comes to uh, break time in the winter, you know midwinter vacation, so they get a lot of calls from kids and people. And the first question they ask is, where can you get me a reservation in a hotel on an island somewhere where there are no Jews? I, I, you know, a whole year I'm in shul in Flatbush in the community and, and wherever I go, I know everybody and, and, and I need an island somewhere where there's no Jews, no one there. What about Minyan? I, I, I need a break. I got to get away from them. But you're a Jew. I know, but I, I need a break. I, I got to get away. I travel agents get these calls all the time. Florida, ooh, full of Jews then I don't to go to Florida Mexico, yeah, it used to be good Acapulco, no, it's full of it's, the Syrian Jews go there, no, it's full of Jews there's minyanim and stuff, no, I can't go there no, no that's no good, Israel, forget that you know, I have to find a Cayman island, that was like a small island privately owned by some Jewish era, not Jewish guy but they don't know that, whatever right so it's a very cute story it's not cute, it's sad so, so this guy, his whole life, he's really he's a good guy but, you know, I used to go on vacation to these places, you know, like uh, a trip, a cruise. But, uh, one guy told me, this, I said, you're going, you're going on a cruise, you get on an Alaskan cruise, there's an Alaskan cruise. I'm not advertising, but uh, Rabbi Eliamon still was on that cruise to Alaska. And that must be interesting. Those whales are in for a whale of a speech. Okay, okay. okay. Anyway, so he's on that cruise. And you know, and this guy said, I said, well, are you going on a cruise this year? He goes, yeah, but I'm not going on a kosher cruise. Like, I'm not going on the kosher cruise. Enough of that. And I'm going on a cruise, no juice. Never, I don't understand. After sitting tish above, how many we lost? You know that we appreciate, but it's a very cute story. So, so this guy, he used to go on vacation. You know, a whole year I go to shul and I'm good. But when I go on vacation, I want a place. that's no Jews. Fine, he dies. He comes up to the next world, right? He was really a good guy. Comes up, Bezin checks him out. Many more mitzvahs than Averroes. Bezin says, Ganai then. He's all excited. He's on his way, with his backpack, he's on his way to Ghanaian. All of a sudden, a malach gets up and says, No! He can't go there! Everyone's like, Who are you? What are you doing here? He says, I want to replay a phone call he made to his travel agent. <laughs> so he's standing there, he's like, what, is, what, what are you talking about? And they play the phone call, and on the phone call you hear him saying, Listen, I don't care where I go, but don't send me to a place where there are Jews. <laughs> And the Malach says, Gan then is full of Jews. I guess we can't let you go there. We're going to take you to a place where there are no Jews. I'm not going to even discuss where that place is. And therefore, a person has to be very proud. We have to be very, very proud of who we are. I think that one of the things that we grow from Tisha above. And reading all these Kinnas, and reading everything that the Jews went through, and the brother and the sister, and the ten haruge Malchus, it's a funny thing, it's it's, such a, it's depressing, but you sort of walk out of here proud. After the whole Kinnas, you walk out and say, look at that brother and sister. Look how Rabbi Akiva died. Look at how each one of the su'e Malchus stood up to these Romans and died with dignity. Look at the Kiddush Hashem. And as you read the Kiddush and the, and the three boats where the, the two boats of girls or the three boats of girls jumped off and said, you know, we, we're, they're not going to make us into Chas Girls have, of ill repute in, in Rome. And they all committed suicide. They jumped into the Yom and was crying. And so then the boys jumped in. And first the girls jumped. First the girls jumped. They set the example. Then the boys jumped. And all these stories, when you learn them and you read them, it gives you a pride of being a Jew. So the destruction, it's an interesting thing, maybe that's the Nachamul of the Shabbos. The destruction of Chalai Yisrael gives you an identity. It gives you an identity. Somebody asked, this is an important point, somebody asked, and I'm sure you're all asking this, somebody asked this, Rebbe, how do I know if I had a good Tisha B'av? How do I know I cried enough? How do I know, you know, Tisha B'av, how do I know it was a good Tisha B'av? He said, you'll know if you have a good Shabbos Nachamu." If you have the right Shabbos Nachamu, that means you learned the right things from Tisha B'av. If it's a party and you're hanging out, then your Tisha was a failure. Shabbos Nachamu comes right after Tisha B'av. Let's look at your Shabbos Nachamu, he told him, and then I'll tell you how your Tisha B'av was. Very brilliant answer. Very, very brilliant answer. So, you know, I was ragging, at, uh, criticizing a little bit the last couple of shiurim, what's going on. But the this there's, is there's, there's, there's saying, Mika amcha with it all, there is no there is no nation like like Kleist. Well, I think Rabbi Miller said this yesterday. I don't know if he said it. He told it to me, but I don't know if he said it in public. Um, he said over a story where uh, this guy comes to Shemayim and there's like a checklist. I'm trying to be a little easier after Tishavel, so I'm telling stories tonight. Just should wind down a little bit. So he comes up to Shemayim and there's a checklist. Davin? No. Learned? No. A kosher? No fill in? No. Shabbos? No. All the questions that went down. The whole line. Tzitzit? No. Everything? No. The whole checklist? No. So the Malaf said, we can't even get this thing started. You know, heaven, ganad and Gehenna, whatever it is, the whole judgment case, because you were wrote everything. Like, like I don't think you're even a Jew. That's what he told him. I don't think you're even a Jew. He said, okay, i got to go back to Bezgin, and i got to ask them what the deal is with you, because this is just the application point. This is the beginning. We didn't even get into the other point. But I don't think I can even bring you into this, because you, you, your application is all, no, 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 no. It's unbelievable. Rabbi Miller told me. It's amazing. So, they come back. He comes back, and he says, there's a big machlekes, A big machlekes in Shemaim. What's a Jew? Big machlekes. What's, What's a Jew? How do you translate a Jew? The mother's a Jew. father's a Jew. What makes a Jew? big mach-likas. so who's the machoikas between he said Bezinshal Milo and Hitler Yemach Shemay V'Zichrei that's the mach-likas. he says we're gonna, we're gonna listen to the whole thing and I'll come back with an answer he comes back and he says the halacha is like Hitler Yemach Shemay you're a Jew listen carefully it's so deep there's a Haman, Aror Hamon. So there's a thing on Purim that you're supposed to get drunk enough to say, Baruch Haman. And Baruch Marachai. And it's very hard to understand. We should go around Jewish people and say Baruch ha- Haman. It's like saying Baruch Hitli Hittimakshon. Like, same thing. He wanted to do the same thing. So we learned whoever was here by my shir, that there's a reason to bless Hamon, Sort of. Because Haman, because of what he did, he brought Israel to a, a, a totally different level. So there's a thought, the Holocaust. There's no, nothing good, right, that you could see that came out of the Holocaust. But there is something good that came out of the Holocaust. You see, Hitler, Imam Shimo got together with all the other Nazis, and they wrote up a proclamation of who's a Jew? Who are we killing? And in that proclamation it said nothing about Tzvonov. Or sittzes, or kosher, or Shabbos, and that proclamation of those six million Jews that he wrote—what is a Jew—is using Shemayim to protect the Jews that never don't eat kosher and don't keep Shabbos and don't know, because in the Holocaust he didn't ask, "Oh, you kept Shabbos? You didn't keep Shabbos?" They also wrote on the checklist, no, no Tillin, no Shabbos, no Kosher, no this, no that, no this, and he threw in the same gas chamber that he threw the Chassid rebbe. didn't make a difference to him. So he says, in Shemayim they paskin, like Yemach Shemay, that everyone everyone that's born from a Jewish mother is a Jew. Finished. End of case. Mika And Yisroh. And in that, in that vein, it's like a weird thing to say, right? But in that vein, the the said, it's an amazing thing. They told him, "See, you think it's only in 2007? You're talking hundreds of years ago." They told him that there was a carnival that came to town, and that the Jewish boys had gone to this carnival, and they were with the goyim, and they were partying, and they were drunk, and they want, the, the the front people wanted him, the benedictor, to go see what happened to these guys or the like, at risk, you know, they're drunk, laying on the floor. And the Badicheva called all his Hasidim and he said, let me show you the difference between a Jew and an jew So, they come in the morning, these guys are out, they're lit, they're laying on the floor in the mud, they're snoring. The Badicheva walks over to them and he's got a bottle of wine. And he kicks the kid and he says, "Nope, get up, get up, get up, I have more wine for you! And the boy opens up his eyes and he goes, oh, that looks really good, but I, I didn't watch Nehoras. Ross yet. <laughs> the true story. He says, okay, come, chassidim, we'll run the next one. Kicks him up, says, hello, I got a bottle of wine for you. Good, good wine. He opens his eyes and goes, oh, that looks so good, but I have to go watch, I didn't watch Negovas yet, I can't drink it. And he went from kid to kid to kid, after partying the whole night and getting drunk with the Goyim, whatever they were doing, but he said, this is this is Klai Yisrael. Even in, when they're, in their drunken stupor, I didn't watch Negovas yet. He said, now come. And he went to the first non-Jew and he gave him a kick and he said, I got a bottle of wine. He goes, Yeah. And he takes it. He goes to the next one. I got a bottle of wine, yeah. He says, I, a Jew, even in his worst state of affairs, I didn't watch Negalas yet. Mika Am Khisra. I think that's something that we need we need to learn from Tishabab. We had someone talking from the Holocaust. That the bottom line is yes, I'm a little bit critical and I and I cried on, on Tishab and and there's things that are going on in, in in Judaism that's very sad. But the bottom line is that as bad and as sad as it is, there's no other nation in the world like us. That's the bottom line. And as bad as it is, I don't think it's maybe it is an ego, but it's it's not worse than the ego. It's maybe equal to the ego. And there's a beautiful medrash by the ego where Moshe Benu, who came to Hashem. Hashem said, "I'm destroying Eretz so I'm giving them the Torah. They're making a, a golden calf. I'm destroying Eretz Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay, you can destroy Klai Israel, but before you do, you've got to pick the successor, you've got to pick another one, it's the Medrash says. So Hashem looked around the world, Hashem came back and said, okay, I'll, ta- I'll keep them. It's a the Medrash, I'll keep them, because when I said there's no other nation, Mika, i In the same Medrash, amazing, and I, I told you a few weeks ago about davening, that you're allowed to, you're allowed to fight, with, not to fight with Hashem, but you're allowed to taina with Hashem. So it says that by the Egel, just to, nothing to do with tonight, but just an interesting Veschanat, Moshe Abenu knew how to do So Hashem came to, to Moshe Abinu and he said, can you believe that the Jews made an Egel? Can you believe they made a God made out of gold after everything I showed them? Can you believe they made an Egel? And Moshe Abenu said, we need an Egel. Moshe said, what? We need an Egel. Hashem, imagine you have the Egel, he'll help you. So Moshe Rabbein, it's a medrash, said to Hashem, the Egel will help you, why don't you have to do everything yourself? He'll help you with the world. So said, the Egel will help me, the Egel is a piece of gold, it has no power, it can't do anything, it's nothing. Moshe Rabbein said, so why does it bother you? It's a medrash, so why does it bother you? You just said yourself, is nothing. You're jealous of nothing, Hashem? It's talking nothing, it's a toy, it's stupidity. You said it's stupidity, Hashem. So it bothers you? You win. That's tefillah. That's knowing how to daven. That's not chutzpah. That's knowing how to daven. When you daven for Klal that's knowing how to daven. That's just Hanan. And, and that's Moshe who knew how to pray, knew how to daven. It's an amazing medrash. He said, "Ah, I got you, Hashem. Ah, you said it's nothing. So if it's nothing, how could nothing bother you?" Sort of the same thing that Racheli Maimon said on, 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 in the medrash that we said yesterday. Okay. So it's very important that we are very proud that we are Jews. Um, there's a famous story with a lawyer. A lot of stories. Um, I don't know if any of you are going to law school, but this boy went to law school. He went to Harvard, and he was a Jewish kid, from Jewish kid. He was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. He came out of Harvard, and there was a, in, in New York. There's this. No, it wasn't New York. I'm sorry. It was in Boston. In Boston, there's this um, huge law firm that all these guys in Harvard want to go to. It's like, your starting salary is like $250,000. It's like the most prestigious, like crazy, crazy offer. But you know, anyone who's ever gone through this, you gotta go through the first interview, and the second interview, and the third interview, and the fourth interview, and then they, they, they do a handwriting analysis, and then you see a psychot- an industrial psychologist, and uh, until you meet the partners. And then when you meet the partners, that's the meeting. As they take you in, they take you in as a junior partner, which is crazy. Crazy to become a junior partner. And this kid was the whiz. And, and he was the hope of, like Harvard, that this guy's going to become a junior partner. And he passed the first test and the second that. And he was a firm boy. Anyway, the name of the, co- the name was like, uh, I don't know, Malcolm uh, Williams and, and, I don't know, Sonny whatever. <laughs> I don't know where that name came from. Anyway, so it's interview with the partners. You can imagine? A law student finished. He's meeting the partners of this firm. And he's standing by the elevator, he comes out of the elevator, he's like five minutes early, and you know, the big drawing room and the doors are closed, and he has his yarmulke on. And he's saying to himself, ah, there's no way I can walk in there with a yarmulke. There's no way I can walk in there with a yarmulke. It's a famous story. And he's thinking and he's thinking and he's fighting and he's fighting. He's like, it's not a vera to take a yarmulke off, it's not a vera uh, just for the interview, you know. Otherwise, there's no, no chance a glacier company, they're going to hire a guy out with a yarmulke. He takes his yarmulke, he folds it up, puts it in his pocket. Okay, brushes his hair back. It's 2 o'clock. As you can imagine, it, he's got butterflies in his stomach. He's meeting the partners of the firm. He opens the door. The secretary comes. Yes, they're inside the drawing room. Walks into the drawing room. And there they are, the three partners. Schwartz, Friedman, and Grossman. Three Jewish guys sitting there. Big stock attorneys sitting there with their yarmulkes on. <laughs> what happened? These guys in these firms, they die, and the new guy comes in. And this was like a 100-year-old firm that was started by non-Jews in Boston. And these guys became senior partners, and those guys died. And here they are, even though the name they don't change the name of the of the company. But the three guys are sitting there, who are the top of this company, have the armor because they're Jewish guys. And he's sitting there, and he's schwitzing. And he sits down, and he gives them their papers. And he slowly puts his hand in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and he slips it on. And the middle guy of the third part looks at him and says, you know, your marked Harvard. It's Unbelievable. But we can't hire you. He says, why not? He says, if you're willing to take your yarmulke off to get a job, we can't trust your morals, we don't know in court what you'll be willing to do for money we're really sorry and he worked out, he did not get the job, and he's the one, one of my students became a lawyer, and he's the one who told my student this story that he lost the biggest job of his life because he wasn't proud that he was a Jew so it's very very important to say that I'm an ish ivri, not an ish mitzri and to be proud, girls, of who you are. And don't try to hide it. And if you go to a job that's not going to hire you because you're a Jewish girl, you don't want that job. My father always told me, if you have to take off your yarmulke, then you shouldn't be there. Then you're in the wrong place. No matter where it is, whether it's business, vacation, wherever you are. If you've got to take off your yarmulke, then you shouldn't be there. My father never took his yarmulke off. My father lived in a time on the west side where the, and the kid would wear a yarmulke, the, the guy would come and they would knock it off your head. It was in the 1940s. He said, nobody knocked that yarmulke off. I mean, they tried, whatever. He never took his yarmulke off his head. We have to be proud of who we are. We have to be proud that we are Jews. And that's, that's a very, very important thing. I think that's something that we have to come out of Tisha Buk with. That no matter how much they try to hammer us, we have to be proud that we're Jews. And, and, and you don't have to be scared that your name is Jewish, and they're not going to hire you because of that, and I'm going to hide who I am. Don't hide anything. Be proud, be proud of who you are. Okay. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, Tzvila. It's late. I wanted, I wanted to get to kin a little bit. Just, okay. Two minutes about Tzvila. So, Veschanan is very important because Veschanan is, 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 is about davening. So, I just wanted some girl to ask me today, so, so so, I'm on a high from, from very interesting no I never heard this before in my life and, and, and I doubted last night and I said to Hashem I said you know with everything that's going on this that the other thing thousands and thousands of people on Tisha Buk went to Sherem 10 years ago this didn't exist when I was a kid you got out of shul, you went to sleep, and that was it. You watched the Yankees or whatever it was, and you slept the rest of the day. And, you, and, and if you were in camp, you played punch ball, right? And you looked at the pool saying, tomorrow, you know, I'll be there tomorrow. And, and whoever went to Shiorim on Tisha B'av? Women didn't go to Kinnis on Tisha B'av 20 years ago. Few Hasidisha ladies went, in the Ezra's Narshim, it wasn't the thing to go to Kinnis. And yesterday, you, the night of Tisha B'av, you couldn't walk into this building. And and Lashon, right? Where people were calling in because they couldn't come. He got two and a half million calls. I know what he He said, if you called, it was busy the whole time. You couldn't even get in. There was a hundred thousand calls on Tishabov to get in that didn't get in. So, so, I said to Hakash Baruch Hu look at this. The worst day of the year, the, the year that we're fasting, and it, it's not Yom Kippur. We're not getting forgiven on Tishabov. It's not like Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, we invest. We want to get forgiven for all the errors that we did. Right? Tishabov, we're not getting anything. What are we getting for Tishabov? No, Clydesdale came. Sat. You sat in this room, it was 150 degrees, everybody was schwitzing, everybody was starving. There were girls here from the morning till, till, till they broke their fast. And, and not only here, Chabetz Chaim, what they showed, hundreds of thousands of Jews came to Shul to watch. So, Mikam in the Gullahs, 2,000 away from the Beis HaMedish, on our worst day of the year, sitting on the floor talking about how we got hit and destroyed and killed and wiped out. And so, girls came to me and they said, Tisha was great. <laughs> I'm on a high. I'm like, something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> I, got, I got messages, I got, uh, not text messages, uh, emails today. Rabbi Wallston, I'm on a high from Tisha B'av. How do I keep the high? I'm like, you're not moving me on a high. You're supposed to be on a low. <laughs> so it was an unbelievable Tisha B'av. So how do you keep this high-low, so to say, oh. this right? Kruy Moed, right? That's a Mashiach. I guess we're in the times of Mashiach. It's a yanteth. Mamash I, I, I told Avi last yesterday. I felt guilty. We, not that we were having a good time, but there was a lot of good energy in the room. You know, Tishah You're not supposed to have good energy. So it's like I, th- I think it's the times of Mashiach. It, was, it felt like a moyen. And mamash. It wasn't just this shul. Every shul and every building and every yeshiva up in the mountains, bungalow, everywhere you went, there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews going to Shira on Tishah There is no other nation. So. How do you keep the high? I'll tell you. How you keep the high? You keep the high, the low, whatever, whatever you want to call it. You have to. You have to go into Shabbos Nachamu. And I think the, the, the thing to take away from it is your is your identity. Is to be proud that you're a Jew. I think that's what you need to take away from Tisha You can hammer us, and you can burn us, and you can take us away from our families, and you could you could persecute us, and we're still here. And we're still here. Like the Panavetcherov. None of you knew the Panavetcherov. Panavetcherov was an amazing, an amazing man. In World War II when the Germans were coming towards um, towards Yisrael, so at that time B'nai Barak was, there was nothing there. And he was standing in a mountain in B'nai Barak, there was nothing there. And he was walking around, he was walking around, and they were saying, what is it? crazy? What's going on over there? And he says, this where I'm standing is gonna be the biggest yeshiva that ever was. Meanwhile, Holocaust, six million Jews are getting killed. The Nazis are coming with their panzer divisions to wipe out Israel and the Panevich Yorob is walking around the top of Bnei Brak. There was nothing there at the time saying, over here we're going to build the biggest yeshiva ever. And Kachoya, the whole town of Bnei Brak was built from that yeshiva, from Panevich. Because he knew that we cannot be destroyed. So he's kids They're coming, panzer divisions with, with, with Holocaust, with Nazis, with all the stupidity. They can't say, they could kill six million but they can't kill the Jew. And he knew that. And it says that he went, he used to, he used to go raise the money for, for the Paneveche Yeshiva. And he was once in his life in Rome. It's a famous story. He was once in his life in Rome and he couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. He was there one night. And he couldn't sleep. And he called one of his Talmuds and he said, get the car. At two o'clock in the morning. Get the car. Said, okay. The kids are there. Where are we going? Just get the car. Get the car. And they come downstairs. They go, he goes to the desk department, and says, where's the Ark of Titus? Where's the Ark of Titus? So the guy tells him, make a left, make the arch. Make a left, make a right, make a this, whatever. Fine. Now the Arch of Titus, it says you're not even, whatever, we're not supposed to go under it, whatever. On the Arch of Titus, Harashah who destroyed the Beis Hamikdash. So he has a picture, right, of the Jewish people in chains and they're carrying the clay, the, the, the Menorah and all the things from the Beis Hamikdash. Now if you can imagine, the, the, he was a little rami, The of Vachurev was a little Ramai. At 2 o'clock in the morning in Rome, Italy. Okay? This little rabbi gets out of the car, and he points to the arch, and he says, "Tishbev, where are you? You're gone. We're here." Can you imagine? front of a child screaming at the top of his lungs, "You're gone. We're here." Okay, let's go back to the hotel. <laughs> Famous story: the the, the, the came back. <laughs> so after Tishbev, if you want to take something away, they're gone the Romans, the Greeks, the Germans, the Spaniards, all of them, they're gone and you couldn't get into this room on Tisha We're here. They're gone, but we're here. That's what you need to take and to be proud, to be proud of who you are. Not to ever be embarrassed of who you are. Okay, so we're going to end. I, didn't, I wanted to talk about kinna jealousy tonight because the whole thing of tuba'ov is that we're not jealous of each other and that's going to talk and bring the Gula. But um, I took too long on my other stories, so I want to end the story with, I'll have two of them, which one should I say? Mm. Okay, both. Alright. So, no, I'll end with this story, because this story, this is, this is Nachomo. So I was like, we'll tell Mitch next week, the other one. You remind me to tell you the story of the Lechimapanam. Okay, so, this is a story like this. And this is about Tisha B'ovah and about, about, about Shabbos Nahumov. So there was a king and he had a, he had a son and the son was totally, totally off the derech and he continuously did mischief and he continuously went out with his friends and he wouldn't listen to the king and he wouldn't listen to the king and the king admonished him and spoke to him and tried and got him teachers and worked on him and worked on him. This kid was miserable. He was embarrassing the king. He was, he was impossible. So finally the king said, I, I can't have him in the palace anymore. As hard as it is to, to send out my son, I have to send him out. I have to exile him. So he takes him and he exiles him. And he sends him to a far, far away town. And this kid, who's a troublemaker, he doesn't stay in that town. He goes to the next town. becomes with a band of cutthroats. He goes to one town, to the next town, to the next town. He's totally lost. The king doesn't know where he is anymore. Because where the king left him, he's not there anymore. This kid is totally lost. Anyway, finally the kid grows up a little bit. And he realizes that he can't continue stealing and, and being a cutthroat and, and going around, so he decides he's going to get a job. And he gets a job by this man, and he works a whole week for $100. And he's working for two years with this guy, and he's working, and he's working for $100, for $100. And he's the best worker this guy has. And, and, and this guy decides, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of this kid. He's not married, he doesn't have children. I'm going to cut his wages in half. And he calls the kid and he says, listen, you know, I decided I can't afford you anymore. I'm cutting your wages in half. For all your 40 hours of work a week, you're getting... Half. And the kid's broken. He says, But I'm working for you for so many years and I've done so much. Half. Okay. Now the king is back. With, he's home with the queen. He says to the queen, We lost our son. I can't find him. I send out messenger. I send out messages. We can't find him. I don't know where he went. He left that town and he's been traveling. We don't know where he is. So the queen says, I'll tell you what we should do. You set up a thing. We can't say that we're looking for our son because maybe he's angry at us. He's going to run away. You set up a thing like this. The king is coming to every town in the province, every town in the country, and anyone who has any complaints that he's not being satisfied by the judges and police of that town, the king will judge his case, thinking that when I go to every single town, sooner or later, my my son will show up in court, and then we'll have him back. So he goes from town to town to town to town, he can't find this kid, and now there's a big announcement in this town, the king is coming, anyone who has any complaints, this is your chance, because the king is above everyone, this kid who totally forgot he's the prince totally forgot who he was he, you know, he totally he was a kid when he was thrown out and now he's an adult and he is so angry at his boss he says good I'm going to go to the king and I'm going to get my hundred dollars I'm going to get my full salary okay so the king is sitting there and all of a sudden his son walks in and he recognizes his son and his heart just, you know he's so happy he found him it worked but he doesn't say anything and he wants to see what his son's going to do going hug him, he's going to kiss him, he's going to yell at him, what's he going to do? So the kid comes in front of the king he says, my name is so and so, whatever it was and he says, I have a complaint and the king says, what's your complaint? He says, I worked for this man like an animal for years I was getting $100 a week and all of a sudden he just cut me into $50 I want another $50 and also he doesn't give us food while we work and you're supposed to feed the workers and also He's supposed to pay part of my rent, which he's not paying. And also, no health benefits. <laughs> and no retirement benefits. And he's got this whole list of complaints. And the king begins to cry. Maybe the take a story. I think it's a And the king begins to cry, and he's crying. And this little boy, this boy's standing there, and he's like, what did I say? <laughs> I asked for, for, for more money, for some more food. For Why is he crying? So he turns to the king and he says, King, why are you crying? He says, Don't you know who I am? He says, Yes, you're the king. He says, No. He says, I'm the king, but I'm your father. And the kid looks at him and says, So of course you'll give me the other $50. And the king begins to cry even more. And the king says, Son, you're the prince. If you come back with me, there is no $50. There is no working for somebody. There is no health plan. There is no problem with where you live. There is no problem. You're going to be in the palace. You don't need to ask me for all these things. All you need to ask me is, Tati, Abba, Dad, can I come back with you? I'll take you back. You'll have everything automatically. Why are you asking me for all these little things? says we stand all the time give me a shidduch my parents need more money give me a car, give me a job give me health, give me this, give me that give me this, give me that and Kurt Bokhu says he's crying he's crying why are you crying Hashem? why am I crying? because you're my children oh are you a you're a father? So you surely give it to us. And we go on about our daily, what we do all the time. We don't say, take me back to the castle. Take me back. I'm the prince. I'm the princess. Take me back to our castle. Take me back to Shalaya and build me the base I made dutch. No! Oh, are we a okay volcano? Oh, so, so am I going to get the shit and, and the clothing and everything else that I need? And because vocal cries even more. Just ask me to take you back to Eretz Shrall. Just ask me to take you back as, as you, my children, automatically. If you're my children, there's no more sickness, there's no problem with shidduchim. there's no problem with food, there's no problem with chalombayah, there's no problem with anything. Just ask me to take you back. kikeda. And that's Shabbos Nachamu. Nachamu Nachamu Ami. Shabbos Nachamu. Just ask Hashem. We have so many things we need. Forget it. Don't ask him for all those things. Say Tati, Tati! Take me back to Eretz Yisrael. Take me back to the base. HaMikdosh. Thank you for finding me. We want to come back. Hashiveinu Hashem shuvah. What does that mean? It means that Hashem, right, will come to return us and then we will return. So the king is looking for us. The king is looking for us. But if you're going to stand there in shul and give him your list of things you need, Hashem says, why are you asking me for all these things? Just ask me to come back. And if I take you back, and I will take you back, you'll have everything. So we have Shabbos Nachumu, and Nachama for Klay Yisrael, of is the biggest day for Shiduchim, it's the biggest day because in of is the day where Klay Yisrael, where all the girls were equal, and there was no Kina, and there was no Sina, Mashiach didn't come on, on Tisha B'Av, the Hashem, he definitely will be here by two You should all have a great Shabbos Nachamu. And then you'll know if you had a good Tisha you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.